0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.54 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is, what is it? It's the 23rd of July, 2021. This is episode 461 of Bitcoin, and good morning, Ethiopia. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, apparently Jack has turned the ETH hashtag on Twitter uh, to display the Ethiopian country's flag. So in one fell swoop, every single tweet about ETH, right, in in, in all the history of Twitter, now has tagged the Ethiopian flag behind it and all further hashtags ETH are going to have come up with the Ethiopian flag. Um, you know, (laughs) as much as I can't stand Ethereum, I got I got to say, this is kind of a, this is kind of a, I don't know. It's kind of a shitty move. Kind of. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm not laughing my ass off over here, but Man, he just, he just bent ETH's hashtag over and, and had his way with it. It was, oh, it's a thing of beauty in a way, but again, a bit cheeky, just a bit cheeky. Let's see what's going on around the world here. Um, <clears throat> oh yeah. Zero days since uh, Thor Chain suffered any in- incidents. <laughs> Coindesk uh, has this one. Sebastian Sinclair is writing, Blockchain protocol ThorChain suffers another hack, totaling $8 million. You're going to love the spin on this, I think. Um, ThorChain has been hit by another exploit, this time costing around $8 million. ThorChain confirmed to Coindesk on Thursday. ThorChain also told Coindesk a hacker deployed a custom contract that was able to trick the Bitfrost, or sorry, Bifrost, into receiving a deposit of fake assets. Jesus, the network then processed a refund of real assets back to the hacker. ThorChain told Coindesk, it was fair to describe the incidents as a gray hat exploit rather than a white hat one. Last week, the protocol was drained of around 4,000 Ethereum in a separate incident. Okay, that, did you get that? ThorChain, I, I talked about this like last week. And brought to you the fact that that ThorChain got hit. Well, ThorChain's been hit again. This DeFi shit's gonna either end or people are just gonna continuously put money into a bathtub and pull the plug on the drain. Anyway, so let's see. Yeah, separate incident. Following last week's hack, ThorChain said it had been audited by multiple blockchain security companies whose task is to locate bugs in a given network. Quote, there were really only two options, launch and accept the risk of issues or not launch and stay in the 90% complete audit review cycle for another six months. Both are difficult. Yeah, dude, both are difficult, but one is only the correct chance, you know? answer, isn't it? Good Lord. Quote, there's a constant battle for these smart contract security firms to keep up with hackers. Daniel Kim, head of capital markets at Maple Finance told KoiDesk via Telegram, that said, the DeFi industry is still nascent these issues lead to solutions. Yeah, they're costly. They're costly incidents. People like regular Joes are losing money. Like ever, ever since last summer, man, ever since last summer, this has just been an ongoing issue of just being able to deploy a contract that otherwise just screws all the people out of the money that probably can't really be the kinds of people that afford to lose all their money the the ethics around this shit is so dismal it's so inhuman i cannot even begin to tell you just how loath i am to even say the word defy good god okay now <clears throat> now that we've got the bullshit out of the way let's get into probably more bullshit Amazon is looking to hire a digital currency lead so hey if you want a job working for Jeff Bezos and and, and you got the chops you know you know where to go bro <clears throat> This is CoinDesk as well Ian Allison's writing, writing this one Amazon is looking for a digital currency and blockchain product lead as their in, as the internet giant progresses with plans to bring its payment systems into the crypto age The position, based in Seattle, Washington, will work with Amazon's Payments, Acceptance and Experience team. The company is seeking an experienced product leader to develop Amazon's digital currency and blockchain strategy and product roadmap, according to the website. Quote, you will leverage your domain expertise in blockchain, distributed ledger, central bank digital currencies, and cryptocurrency to develop the case for the capabilities which should be developed, drive overall vision and product strategy, and gain leadership, buy-in, and investment for new capabilities, the posting says. There has been chatter about a so-called Amazon coin with job postings from back in February hinting that a digital currency was in the offering in order to own the vision and strategy for amazon's digital currency the successful candidate will require a deep understanding of the digital cryptocurrency ecosystems and related technologies amazon said amazon did not reply to requests for comment so amazon a little late to the game but whatever we'll just have to see what they do I mean, it's gonna be shit coin. And if they, I mean, any coin they produce themselves internally clearly is going to be a shit coin. If they don't, uh, it, you know, come up with their own internal coin for use, then they're gonna use a shit coin, okay? Just beware, all right? Still though, is this good for Bitcoin? Of course, of course it's good for, everything's good for Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin Depot announces long-term partnerships with Circle K in the United States and Canada. Something is afoot at Circle K. This is a PR newswire. <clears throat> um, Atlanta, no, no, no. Sorry, I was about to read the byline. Bitcoin Depot, the world's largest and fastest growing Bitcoin ATM network, announced today an exclusive internal international partnership with Circle K that spans across both the United States and Canada, with over 700 Bitcoin ATMs in 30 separate states that are already installed. Bitcoin Depot ATMs are kiosks that enable users to exchange cash for cryptocurrency, allowing for simple in-person transactions that give users immediate access to Bitcoin and over 30 other shitcoins. Oh, Jesus. The growth of digital currency has led to large retail companies finding a growing interest in Bitcoin ATMs as one of the world's leading convenience and fuel retailers. Circle K is the first major retail chain to deploy Bitcoin ATMs within its stores. Quote, We're thrilled to create a long-term strategic partnership with Circle K and to expand our footprint internationally with a global leader in convenience and fuel retail, said Bitcoin Depot CEO Brandon Mintz. Circle K understands that cryptocurrency will be a growing part of the future economy and payments landscape by adding Bitcoin ATMs to the company's stores. Circle K can attract new customers to those stores, offer financial access to underserved communities, and set themselves apart from other retailers with this new technology. Through our collaborative partnership, we aim to provide new ways for people to buy Bitcoin instantly in a familiar environment in their local neighborhood, Circle K, end quote. As demand for cryptocurrency increases, more and more customers are visiting convenience stores to use Bitcoin ATMs. To use a Bitcoin ATM, someone would visit a Bitcoin Depot ATM within a Circle K, insert cash after providing his or her crypto wallet address, and crypto would be sent immediately to the wallet. The whole process from signing up for an account to completing a transaction takes about one or two minutes. Anyone looking to use a Bitcoin Depot ATM can find one at bitcoindepot.com where all Circle K locations with Bitcoin ATMs are listed. Quote, at Circle K, we are passionate about making our customers' lives a little easier every day, and we are continually looking at ways to enhance their experience in our stores and be their favorite stop for a growing range of needs and occasions, said Denny Turwell, or sorry, Tool. Senior Vice President, Global Merchandise and Procurement at Circle K. Quote, our partnership with Bitcoin Depot further builds on this commitment, giving our brand an important early presence in the fast-growing cryptocurrency marketplace as a convenient destination where customers can buy Bitcoin. So 700 stores, 30 states, two countries, something's afoot at the Circle K, dude. Let's get into this one. Four tips for running a profitable lightning network node. Now a guy reached out to me, uh, said he was from a third world country, didn't say which, but had uh, asked me directly through DM how to make money using a, uh, running a full node. And I just like my the thing that I shot back almost immediately was, well, you do it for other reasons right now. You you do it to support the network. You do it out of out of belief. You do it just because you want to do it right? These, these are the things. And I'm talking about Bitcoin full node. This is clearly about lightning. We'll, we'll get into this here in a second. But he, uh, when he asked me how much it costs, and I'm like, well, my cost about 350 bucks to put together. And that's when he unleashed the fact that he was in a third world country. And it st- just started me thinking, you know, what it would be kind of a cool charity to be able to have, you know, pre-made Bitcoin uh, full nodes with something like, you know, I don't know, an umbral or my node or one of the other, you know, Pre fashioned uh, thing, you know, Bitcoin full nodes that you can get, and uh, like a one, two terabyte solid state hard drive, and have that be the charity and just ship it to people in third world countries. How that works, I don't know, because what's to stop them from just selling it back on the street, you know, for just the, the uh, hard drive alone? I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a dumb idea when you think about it, you know, but, you know, the heart's in the right place. It would be nice to be able to deploy this technology to third world countries without, because 350 bucks for them in some of these cases, that's a year salary. Dude, you can't, you you can't do that. So how do we figure out a way to get this going on? Well, shortly after this article dropped and it's not outside the realm of possibility that these guys could learn how to be really competent lightning operators and, you know, be able to to do all this stuff on their own. So let's, let's just get into it. Aaron Malone wrote this thing yesterday for Bitcoin Magazine. 10 weeks ago, I joined the Lightning Network, barely knowing how to open a channel. Last week, I became a profitable Lightning Network routing node. Here are some tips on the ultimate strategy game for LN node operators from one Bitcoin pleb to another. Running a node is more of an art because each individual channel needs its own unique care and attention. It's like having a Tamagotchi that needs to constantly be taken care of between analyzing traffic flow fees, which channels to open and close and rebalancing. You really need to take the time to see how traffic moves and what it costs to move. You have to dig in at the individual route, then look at a more macro level over time to set your fees and know where to put your sats. This is where the human touch comes in. Sure, you can program a script to automate fees for you, but there are some great ones out there, <clears throat> but I don't think we're at the point where we can analyze traffic patterns, overall flow, strategic route balancing routes, and the best channels to open to minimize cost and maximize profits. <clears throat> the peer is more important than the channel size. Most people say channel size or girth is everything. The bigger, the better. Well, this is true to an extent, really. Channels under two million sats don't see any flow, but I have two million sat channels that route more traffic than my 20 million sat channels. It just depends on who they're connected to, where the traffic is going and what their fee structure is. A good way to analyze routes is during rebalancing. You can see who is connected to who, where things can cheaply move and where there is room to open a channel to one of the connecting nodes to minimize feeds and maximize routing potential. Alex Bosworth's balance of Satoshi's has been a super helpful in seeing rebalancing routes. So really, I guess it's not about size, but what do you do with it? So in rebalancing, I've heard a lot of people say rebalancing doesn't help. I've heard people say you should have all balanced channels. I haven't found either one to be true. I rebalance constantly, but I rebalance to, quote, feed the traffic. I don't keep a channel perfectly balanced unless traffic flows both ways. If traffic flows one way, which a lot of channels do, then I constantly push or pull sats back to feed that traffic. More feeding, more sats. If it's not profitable to rebalance certain channels, then up your fees. How do I calculate my break even? I took all routing fees and subtracted, rebouncing fees, on-chain transactions, which are opening, closing channel fees, moving sats to nodes, and any loop outs. If you don't run a Lightning node yet, now is the time to experiment. The mempool is empty, so you can open channels at one sat per byte, while Bitcoin is only around $30,000. When Lightning adoption takes off and Bitcoin multiplies in value, you're going to thank yourself that you got in early, and your relatively small channel sizes will be massive in the future. Also, join PlebNet on Telegram, and we'll help you get started. I've learned more in the last two months than I have in years. The learning itself is addicting, and it's more of an art than a science. I'm sure having a technical coding or software background has its advantages, but as someone who never used a command line prior to running a node, I don't think it's really needed at this stage of the game. Between Umbral, MyNode, Raspy Blitz, and communities like PlebNet, it's never been easier to build a node, find information, and ask questions. So there you go. There's a little bit of uh, hints and, and some uh, uh, resources for you if you're interested in, in running a Lightning node. I've been running a Lightning node for a while, and I mean, I'm, I'm not into it as deep as a lot of people are. I'm not actively rebalancing I'm getting my feet wet like everybody else, and it takes time. It does. It's it, it's one of those things where it's not going to be just immediately apparent, you know, what the hell's going on. And places like PlebNet uh, over on Telegram is probably, I haven't seen it myself, but it's probably a, a fairly good way to go. So, uh, plebs are always willing to help each other. Unless, and here's the big news unless you're pretending to be a pleb and you end up screwing somebody in the community. If you have been following since, if you were around last night, untapped growth dropped um, basically a treatise of what's been going on between him and a so-called pleb who's decided to douse himself in diesel and light himself on fire, him and his uh, reputation. Uh, let's just, I'm just going to, uh, Joe, or sorry, untapped gave me permission to, um, read this, uh, last night. And I told him that I would. So between this and what comes next, we'll, we'll kind of figure out what's going on, going on together. Okay. First of all, let me preface this this all started with an article that was published in bitcoin magazine and the guys over at bitcoin magazine probably had no idea what was going on beneath the hood and said yeah this is a good article from Acerus, and that's the the uh, twitter account that has that is doing all this is aceris <coughs> he wrote this article sent it to bitcoin magazine guess they thought it was good and they published it and uh, and then the shitstorms started. So let's find out. This is actually untappedgrowth.com, um, his uh, blog. And the title is, I Like Untapped Growth, Buy Into My Fund. Sound familiar? Many of you have seen the article <clears throat> in Bitcoin Magazine published by Acerus, a.k.a. Colin and many of you recognized my ideas and my project, but the fact that I was not mentioned anywhere left you wondering what the hell was going on, and to to be honest, I was too. Acerus and his wife were applicants in the cattle co-op that I match made with an investor from our portfolio for the purpose of them building their Citadel ranch. The goal with the early matches has always been to pick people with the skills to help me build the pieces as we iterate. Plebs build together, right? During the early iterations with the clients of the cattle co-op, we realized that there needs to be a war chest of sorts to help solve some particular tactical problems. The matchmaking between the land investors and land stewards is brilliant. It totally works, but the agriculture industry and food chain system is so broken that I'm having to solve a shit ton of things in parallel in order to scale it. General partnership, limited partnership funds is something Colin and his wife expressed to me that they have competence in. They pitched the Cattle Co-op on the idea that I should build a fund to serve as our war chest. The more I came to see the way our adversaries are playing this game, I realized this needs to be bigger than just a nonprofit. We need a group of companies that engage together strategically. While in Miami for Bitcoin 2021, I had multiple people ask me to build a fund for them. When I asked what kind of returns they wanted, they literally said they didn't care and just wanted to have their money in something they believed in like this. Perfection. Seven to eight figures now unlocked with an anti-cantillionaire mission mandate for me to fight the Bill Gates agenda at scale. Hell yeah. With the understanding we were building a fund to serve the nonprofit, I, in good faith, shared all of my big picture ideas on how the value propositions could work, as well as all my expertise on the details things began taking shape colin's wife deanna remember these two names people colin and deanna remember them because they're going to come up again very very shortly things began taking shape colin's wife deanna sampled the investor i sorry sampled the investor i introduced them to with an untapped growth branded pitch deck and everything was going well we didn't have the authority structure of who are the ultimate decision makers nor the fund's relation to the nonprofit finalized yet we didn't even have a fund charter but we're working on it uh, we're working on it up until a few weeks before Miami when all collaboration suddenly ceased and a meeting in Austin was scheduled post Miami this is where the surprises started while in Miami I shared with the group how much interest I was getting on the idea and that I was really getting the pitch refined. Upon sharing that, I told Aceris, uh, I was told Aceris had been pitching too for a fund beneath the cattle co-op that he didn't even have my consent to yet. That was my first shock. My second shock came in Austin. Acerus and his wife, Deanna, disclosed to me that all future help with the fund and all of the investors they had raised while using the untapped growth name was predicated on me giving Deanna full control of the fund rather than her being on the team in an operational role as I had been expecting to this point. Oh boy. The original plan had been to place the fund beneath the authority of the nonprofit for uh, or me, but legally it was sticky for me to do both. Collaboration stopped while trying to find a way to resolve this with a satisfactory authority structure. After getting over that shock, I decided I was willing to compromise and allow her to run the fund if she was willing to write the charter of the fund with me in a way that protected the interests of the organization as a whole. She gave verbal assent to my request and I thought we were back to building. Next came shocks three and four, which happened when I got back from Austin. I sent a message in the group chat signaling that I was ready to begin co-authoring the charter. She told me that my messaging about ESG was a liability to her fund and that she didn't want me involved in it anymore beyond providing ranchers for her and helping source the right cattle. Dude, this gets so bad. It was at this point that I fully realized I was dealing with bad faith actors. They had, without permission, done a raise using my name, social capital and story, all of which were branded beneath me from the beginning and were then attempting to consolidate me to a corner where they can leverage affiliation because I worked for them providing ranchers? Yeah, no, that's not okay. This is nowhere near what we were building, nor what I had agreed to and in good faith collaborated upon. At the same time as this, I received pleb reports on individuals getting private DMs from Acerus after interacting with me publicly on the topic of Citadel building. Over time, it became clear there was a pattern of covert, subversive behavior where they were actively poaching my network. It was at this point that I dissociated from them fully and posted the public tweet stating that if someone is not using my logo, then they are not affiliated with me and do not have my support. Okay. I think dude untapped. It's like if they're using your logo and they are not affiliated with you they do not have your support because they're stealing from you. So just a little correction there, but that's okay. I mean, this is a shitty situation for anybody to be in. If you haven't figured that crap out yet, dear listener, I can't help you because what I've already gone through is bad. This is as bad as, as a deal can get. Okay. I'm telling you, man, my dad was in the oil industry until the day he died and I've seen some pretty bad deals. Anyway, continuing, my gut was telling me the situation warranted a more direct, transparent, and detailed approach, but my advisors thought maybe this was simply miscommunication and not actually bad faith until they saw the Bitcoin Magazine article, that is. Acerus was careful not to make any legal mistakes in claiming authorship, which was smart as the article was nearly exactly the thesis I had already released publicly in the ESG podcast with Marty Bent. But there was an outcry, and rightfully so, because plebs don't care about legality. Plebs care about integrity. We know we are building a new world together, and reputation is everything. When Acerus chose not to cite me at all in the article, plebs began to ask questions, and here is the responses that they got. And this is the responses that they got from Acerus. So here's a, a screenshot. Um, I don't know who this is from but they're asking about the article with the question what do you mean and aceris answers we had been working together and i brought him the carbon credit idea as a way of funding a large scale thing he basically backed off of that after the marty podcast and we parted ways he explicitly asked me not to mention him in anything so i didn't the original version of the article mentions our work together now he's trashing me on twitter for plagiarism of my own idea and demanding credit when he explicitly told me not to. Definitely not the reaction I expected. Okay, that was the response to a pleb questioning why Untapped wasn't given any credit in the Bitcoin Magazine article. Many parts of this are complete lies. One, I didn't back off of carbon credits at all, as I'm pretty sure Colin knows. They explicitly told me they were backing away from me due to the optics of my public statements, which put their fiat investors at risk. My full attention from the beginning was to be honest about what ESG truly is. I'm aligning with investors who understand ESG and thus don't need to be deceptive in order to finance a speculative attack too. So what do we have here? We have Colin, an IP lawyer, intellectual property, an intellectual property lawyer claiming not to know the difference between academic citations and brand infringement. And this is his explanation given for providing my, no citation for my work. To the contrary, here is what I stated, and this is from Untapped. I appreciate you pitching my team on the fund, but after due consideration, I've decided that working with either you or your fund is not a good fit going forward. Therefore, please understand that you do not have permission to use my name, logos, branding, or any future collateral developed for any project affiliated with untapped growth that would infer a relationship with you in this regard, best regards, untapped. Well, his real name, which if you already know it, that's fine, but I'm not gonna give it out twice. This was serving notice that they are no longer affiliated with untapped growth in any way. Acerus never contacted me about the article. I was never given the opportunity to accept nor decline citation contrary to his claims, which goes to my core concern. They have forked my project and are launching a fund in bad faith. By lack of clear disclosure, they have obfuscated that fact in a way that is confusing my allies and friends who are supporting me. I have clearly placed my ideas in the public domain, so they are open source by definition as promised from the beginning, so obviously they cannot be taken captive by me nor anyone else. The principle of my ask is simple. If anyone wants to fork my project, make it clear that you are forking it and why, and most of all, don't deceive people about the nature of your relationship with me. I am a truth teller, truth is freedom, and freedom is worth any price. Anyone who creates confusion around me that diminishes the clarity of the signal inhibits the propagation of freedom and thus is an enemy of all who love truth. This is why I have the vehement support that I do. My primary responsibility above all is protecting that vehement support of those who believe in me by defending the clarity of the signal. No lies, no noise. That is the story. You guys decide what you think for yourselves. I've already replaced Colin and Deanna with a new team for the fund that is much more aligned and experienced, but many other pieces need my attention too, and I'm done with the bullshit. It's time to build. Good for you, Untapped. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. Good for you, bro. Um, now, a little bit of backstory. Before I even knew about any of this shit, I got a dm from acerus himself asking me to read the draft of the bitcoin magazine article before he sent it to bitcoin magazine and honestly at the time that he got in contact with me um it like all all before i read it he gave me the the link to the to the blog what was i guess the blog post before it became the article <clears throat> he gave me the link and and all the interaction i had with acerus before that mentioned nothing about a schism of him and untapped okay so i read the article in good faith i gave him just a little bit of feedback i mean i thought i mean i actually thought it was good insofar as it was you know there wasn't a whole bunch of grammatical mistakes and i was going to go over it again but shit gets in the way and it never happened and then the article came out and then the shitstorm occurred and then when i went back and looked at my dms from acerus after he'd given me the magazine article that's a couple of days later that's when he stated this uh, the relationship between him and untapped has deteriorated and they've gone their separate ways and honestly i just feel like i wasted a whole you know a whole 30 minutes of my time reading that thing so you know it wasn't it's not just that this guy was going around and and um poaching Everything from Untapped—the brand, the name, the contacts, the investors that that Untapped had hooked them up with—that that started the whole thing. I mean, they were basically just poaching everything, and then like <clears throat> like Untapped said, backed them into a corner and wanted them to just be able to provide, you know, a steady stream of heritage breed cattle and and other things, and not have anything to do with the plan. And no, that's just that shit's not right, man. Listen, we're gonna run the numbers right now, but when we come back, we're gonna talk more about Colin and Deanna because somebody uncovered something. CNBC futures and commodities shows flammable liquids down a bit today. Uh, West Texas Intermediate down a quarter of a point. Brent North Sea likewise down a third of a point. $71.73, $73.56 Seventy-one dollars and seventy-three cents, seventy-three dollars and fifty-six cents, respectively. Natural gas has passed the four-dollar mark. Uh, it's a quarter-point upswing, four dollars and one penny for a thousand cubic feet. Half a point drop for gasoline, two dollars and twenty-six cents. Gold is down a half a point, <clears throat> seventeen ninety-six. Silver is down two-thirds of a point, twenty-five dollars and twenty-two cents. Platinum is down over a point. Copper has risen almost a half point and palladium is flat at 0.09% to the upside. <clears throat> Agricultural futures are mixed, but holy smokes dude, coffee took another 4% gain today. It was 10% yesterday. Did, did, if anybody is listening to this that knows anything at all about coffee and what the hell's going on in the coffee trade right now, I mean, did some did a whole mountain in Colombia burn down with a whole bunch of coffee on it or something? Or did a, you know, a fleet of coffee freighters sink in, you know, in the Gulf of Mexico or something? Somebody please tell me what the hell's going on with coffee, okay? Because this is insane, bro. Um, let's see. Where are we say Oh, index futures. Everything is up. Uh, Dow futures up a half. S&P futures, likewise. NASDAQ futures up 0.39 and the S&P mini up 0.57%. Talk about real money at 32419 bucks got ourselves a bump, Uh, 219,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That's 9,000 transactions on average per hour with 328,500 BTC being sent in that 24 hour period. That's 13,500 BTC sent every hour on the hour on average with an average transaction value of 1.5 BTC, a median transaction value holding steady at 0.022 BTC or about 710 bucks. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 45 seconds. 0.14 BTC taken in fees on a per-block basis, and 19.7 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a two and a half bump or percent bump in hash rate, we are back to 99.7 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator says 19.2 United States pennies. Dogecoin shouldn't be anywhere close to that. Because it puts on like 5 million coins a day or something ridiculous like that. Anyway, that's going to do it for that. Let's get into Clark Moody who's showing 2,000 transactions waiting on three blocks to clear all mempools. We have $608.6 billion in market cap. That is 5.19% of gold's market cap. And we can now buy 18 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, if you so choose. And speaking of the money supply, there are 18,764,124.75 BTC in circulation at this time. And 1,958.9 of those are in the Lightning Network with a capacity value of $63.5 million being run over 12,850 nodes and representing 57,743 channels that we can see. A new uh, Lightning Network Tor capacity all time high has hit, and it's 70%, straight up 70.0. That's being run over 7,555 nodes that we know about. And apparently, there are 13,000 or 13,000, 1370.71 BTC in the uh, Tor side of the Lightning Network. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the snooze you can use. Remember, I asked you to remember the name, uh, Colin and Deanna from the untapped growth story that we covered before we hit the vitals. Um, Somebody, I I can't remember who on Twitter, I should know, but I'm drawing a blank, um, dug this out and it's fairly recent. Um, In fact, it's very recent. June 29th of this year, this is from levelset.com. Now, and it's written by Elizabeth Gunto. I don't know what Level Set is, okay? And I'm not sure about the efficacy of the following story. However, it has been dug out. Somebody did write about it. Um, let's get into it. Accused of falsifying financials, Vegas boutique resort owners file for bankruptcy. Property management company Boutique NV LLC Has filed for bankruptcy the firm which owns the mountain resort the retreat on charleston peak in mount charleston nevada filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy on june the 16th of this year for nevada boutique property owners colin and deanna crossman the bankruptcy is the latest in a long line of financial headaches and legal disputes In June of 2018, the Crossmans, who are based in North Carolina, purchased the retreat from the Siegel Group for $4.8 million. Four months later, TSG, along with the Artisan Hotel Boutique, sued the couple for sending numerous false and defamatory statements about the claimants, the Triangle Business Journal reported. The lawsuit alleges that the pair wrote an executive summary while trying to secure financing for the hotel. The summary, according to the complaint, featured numerous false claims, including that Siegel Suites poorly managed the MTC resort and that the Artisan is a gay and lesbian hotel. The Crossmans then sent this executive summary to financers, lenders, and investment firms who regularly do business with the Artisan. Holy crap, I'm seeing a pattern here, pal. In an email, Deanna Crossman told the Triangle Business Journal the allegation is false and we'll be vigorously defending ourselves against it. The lawsuit prompted Westfield Insurance Company to file its own in the Eastern District of North Carolina. According to the Triangle Business Journal article, Westfield is asking the court to declare that the firm is not required to indemnify or defend the Crossmans in the Clark County Nevada case. The eight-page complaint states that while Westfield issued an insurance policy in North Carolina to the couple, that policy doesn't cover libel or slander. As defendants are alleged to have uh, published material with knowledge of its falsity, plaintiffs do not have an obligation under the policy to defend defendants in the underlying lawsuit, the complaint further states. Two months before getting hit with two lawsuits, the Crossman's filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in Riley, North Carolina, under the name Memento Mori. Deanna Crossman told the Durham Herald Sun that a road construction project had disrupted business at the bed and breakfast they founded in Cary, North Carolina, forcing them into bankruptcy. As the lawsuits progress in court and the Crossman's file for bankruptcy a second time, the hotel in the center of the mess is in a precarious position According to Boutique NV's bankruptcy documents, the firm has filed for Chapter 11 in part to stay a foreclosed sale by the retreat. By filing on June 16, 2021, one day before the auction was scheduled, Boutique NV managed to stay the sale per bankruptcy code Section 362. How long Deanna and Colin Crossman can suspend foreclosure is uncertain, however. Boutique NV's bankruptcy documents list unpaid taxes and unsecured claims from 11 creditors ranging from $5,000 from National Plumbing and Water Restoration Company, Roto-Rooter, to $1.8 million from Mountain West Debt Fund, one of Boutique NV's main lenders for the retreat. Meanwhile, a a collegiate Jewish organization in Durham, North Carolina, Brought the king's daughters in, bought the king's daughters in the couple's last property in the state at a bankruptcy auction, so it looks like Colin and Deanna are serial uh, have problems in a serial fashion, and these if if you're not picking up on it these are the same cats that are screwing over our friend Untapped Growth, and it looks like it looks like Untapped is just another piece of meat hanging on a chain because they've done this apparently to all manner, shapes and sizes of individuals and lending institutions. They're in bankruptcy, not once, but twice. And they've apparently had to foreclose on all manner of properties. It's just, I'm so, I'm I'm just appalled that people like this still walk the planet today and that they can literally crawl into bed and have sound sleep. I don't get it. There's no way in the world that I would ever have done this to Untapped, because it's, just not, it's not that I'm a nice guy, it's just that I enjoy my sleep. I don't fuck people over because I'm selfish. I want to be able to sleep with myself. I want to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, hey, you may not be the best, but at least you didn't fuck somebody. Don't be that kind of person ever, even if you're going to get a whole bunch of money out of it. It's not worth the rep. Acerus will his reputation is burned, and he is now forgotten. It, it, and it happened in the like a with the flick of a switch, dude. i I don't know what to say about shit like this, <clears throat> but I was right yesterday. I was. I called it. I said Texas was probably going to be the next state to file on BlockFi, and yet here we are. BlockFi faces crackdown by a third U.S. state, Texas. Coindesk uh, has it, and let's see who's writing it. Danny Nelson alongside Nicholas Day is writing this one. Texas regulators alleged on Thursday that BlockFi's interest account uh, product is a security under state rules and the latest blow to the crypto lender's business model. The Texas State Securities Board filed for a cease and desist order against BlockFi, BlockFi trading, and BlockFi lending. The cease and desist hasn't taken effect and won't unless a judge signs off after a hearing in October, Coindesk learned. The filing gives the company a chance to formally respond to the allegations. The company is allowed to continue operations until the hearing. Quote, this legal action affords BlockFi and its affiliates the opportunity to respond to our allegations and present admissible evidence. Joe Rotunda, TSSB's Director of Enforcement, said he shared a copy of the notice with Coindesk. The proposed cease and desist order would prevent BlockFi from offering its BIA product without at least registering with the state securities regulator. Texas joins Alabama and New Jersey in alleging that the crypto lending platform's interest-bearing product might violate state securities law. While the spokesperson could not immediately be reached for comment, the company tweeted, quote, we firmly believe that the BIA is lawful after the publication of this article. Like New Jersey, Texas is arguing the fact that the company's customers place their cryptocurrencies in the lending platform's control for BlockFi to invest and co-mingle with other customers and corporate funds may violate the state's securities laws. Quote, the BIA's constituent investment contracts, notes, and evidence of indebtedness regulated as securities as that term is defined by section 4A of the Securities Act, the filing said. Texas said it notified BlockFi in late April that its lending product might be violating state securities rules. The lender continued to illegally offer BIA in Texas, TSSB alleged. The TSSB said BlockFi has at least 25,000 clients in Texas with 691 million in total assets represented. In a tweet responding to the allegations from Alabama's regulator, BlockFi said its interest accounts aren't securities. Of course, they're gonna say that, but wow, uh, looks like, I don't know, man, BlockFi looks to me like it's in deep, deep shit. And given its history of lowering its interest payments without notification, on all of its customers like when we started kind of going down you know or actually we were going up and they were lowering interest and then they did it even more when we started going down and every time they did it it was like people going i didn't sign up for this shit. i signed up for you know whatever interest rate and now, now they're paying me half and they didn't even say anything i think BlockFi's troubles are much deeper than you might suspect i don't know i don't know any of the guys over there I'm just looking at what they do. I'm certainly not looking at what they say. Now, this has nothing at all to do with Bitcoin, but you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. Crowdfundinsider.com. Tony Zarucha is writing this one for them. Prodigy Finance issues $288 million student loan, ABS. This is breathtaking, y'all. So get a grip, be prepared. <clears throat> United Kingdom-based postgraduate education lender Prodig- Prodigy Finance has issued a two hundred and eighty-eight million dollars student loan asset-backed securitization backed by three hundred and four million dollars of loans from its own portfolio. The issuance was rated. AA3 by Moody's and A-plus by Kroll for its $227 million of senior tranche notes. Using its own modeling systems, Prodigy Finance lends money to international students based on their future earning potential. They have originated more than $1 billion since their launch five years ago. It said it has seen a 50% year-over-year increase in loan applications over the past year, Our borrowers are typically underserved by traditional lenders who require collateral, a co-signer, or a credit history in the country of study, CEO Cameron Stevens said. Prodigy Finance's ability to originate loans based on a borrower's future earnings potential allows for these students to have access to financing and ultimately access education at the highest ranked schools in the world. Dude, this is What's called, there's two things here. First, the model itself of lending money without collateral, cosigner, or credit history to people from, honestly, I'm going to say it, from the fucking third world without a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of, lending them money on their future earning potential is predatory. It's predatory. This is like... This is like the paycheck lending service, only much, much worse. Two, nobody learned a damn thing from 2008 because this is exactly how the mortgage-backed security shit started happening. What they have is trash on their books because they know none of these motherfuckers are going to be able to get a job and pay them back. And even if they do get a job at the rate that they think that they were going to get a job, they're not gonna be able to make those loan payments. So they're carrying paper. What do they do with the paper? They turned it into a debt investment interest, uh, <clears throat> instrument, and then they marched up to Moody's, who we know. We know the rating agencies, what they did in 2008. They took garbage and gave it double-A, AA, triple-A status as investment instruments, and that allowed those motherfuckers to take it anywhere and sell it because all anybody's actually looking at is what Moody's rated it at. It was that guy from the big short that actually said, I don't care what the ratings are. I'm actually going to get inside these files and look at what's on the books. And that's Michael Burry, Right. He was the one that actually looked at the numbers and what the, you know, what the hell was going on inside this dude, this is, this is one step away from indentured servitude. Full blown slavery is right around the corner because at least with the mortgage backed security shit, there was a house standing somewhere. Most of the time there was a fully built house standing somewhere. Not that that was going to help a whole bunch, but In this particular case, you're talking about people, man. You're talking about people from third world countries, ain't got shit, get a loan. They are never gonna be able to pay it back. This is a private institution and then they securitized that debt and made it an investment vehicle. Nobody has learned a thing. And this is why I Bitcoin Speaking of, the number of investors owning Bitcoin has tripled since 2008, 18, sorry, 2018 says a Gallup poll. Martin Young has it for Cointelegraph. A recent survey has revealed Bitcoin has gained traction with younger U.S. investors in terms of awareness, interest, and ownership over the past three years. The study conducted by global analytics and advice firm Gallup revealed that the number of investors in the United States holding BTC has jumped from 2% to in 2018, to 6% as of June of 2021. The research defines investors as adults with $10,000 or more invested in stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. It also reported the Bitcoin ownership amongst investors surveyed aged under 50 had more than tripled over the past three years to 13% from 3% in 2018. Unsurprisingly, it revealed ownership was much lower at just 3% for the over 50s group of investors, though this has also increased threefold from 1% in 2018. The researchers noted that Bitcoin's relatively modest ownership can be contrasted with more mainstream investments. The survey revealed that 84% of the investors polled reported having invested in stock index funds or mutual funds while 67% said they owned individual stocks and 50% have bonds. I hope you're not holding the 10-year, pal. Quote, at 6%, Bitcoin ownership is more akin to gold, which 11% of investors say that they own. End quote. The results of the poll come from the Gallup Investor Optimism Index Survey conducted between June 22nd and 29th, 2021, among 1,037 investors in America aged 18 and older. The sample for the study was weighted to be demographically representative of the United States adult population with a maximum margin of sampling error of plus or minus 5%. Other findings reveal that that the risk perception associated with Bitcoin has declined over the three-year period. Nearly all investors surveyed perceived BTC to be a risky investment. However, the percentage calling it very risky has declined from 75% to 60%. Most of the remaining 35% now consider it to be somewhat risky, while just 5% think it carries no risk. Gallup concluded that large investments in Bitcoin by well-known companies such as Tesla Square and Morgan Stanley may be giving it more mainstream credibility. A similar survey that polled institutional investors in May and June revealed that more than 80% of hedge fund executives and wealth managers surveyed that are already holding crypto assets intend to increase their holdings. So there you go. Bitcoin mining is becoming a vastly more decentralized. I'm gonna stop right there. And if you have not listened to Citadel Dispatch, uh, the latest one, I wanna say it's 3.1 with Matt Odell. And, oh, I just drew a blank on the two guys. Anyway, they're miners. Uh, so go listen to it. It's really, really good. I'm I'm still not all the way through it, but it's, it, Diverter is one of the guys. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to get through into this, uh, this article. But what they're talking about is going to take what this article is talking about and make it even more evident just how decentralized we're talking about. So go listen to that one and tell Matt I said hi. Bitcoin has become considerably more decentralized in the past year, one metric suggests, and the trend is growing. According to data from on-chain data resource blockchain, hash rate distribution is increasingly favoring small unknown miners. Despite the past 12 months seeing a large price run-up, Bitcoin miners have not become more corporate. Mining is actually seeing more anonymous small-scale entities join in. Looking at hash rate distribution, the trend is in evidence ever since March 2020 crash, and this year has gathered pace. The drawdown from 64,000 all-time highs precipitated the move towards smaller players, something which would be expected from a falling hash rate incentivizing them to mine. As Cointelegraph reported, meanwhile, the hash rate has stabilized over the past two weeks and begun reclaiming lost ground. Analysis of revenues collected by the mining community as a whole underscores the recovery taking place, giving hope for the upward trend with characterized hash rate until May to resume. At the time of writing, the hash rate totaled an estimate of 95 exahashes per second which was up from the floor of 83 exahashes per second. <clears throat> Future changes among miners nonetheless appear to focus on larger players, which in the wake of the Chinese route are gathering force the United States and elsewhere. A slew of announcements this month, including one mining firm planning to go public in the United States, combines with news that the industry's environmental credentials are rapidly changing. Quote, we're also seeing a lot more disclosure from miners. of the hash rate joined Council, Bitcoin Mining Council, and they produce quarterly disclosures now. And within that sample, the miners were 67% renewable or nuclear powered, Nick Carter, co-founder of CoinShares, told CNBC on Wednesday, quote, so the miners that are disclosing, and a lot of these are Western miners that are exposed to Western capital markets, are disproportionately sustainable in their operations, end quote. Elon Musk, CEO of Tesla and SpaceX, hinted that Tesla may begin accepting Bitcoin for payments again in the coming months based on these environmental changes. Yeah, screw you, bro. That's coming from a statement that he made in the B word. And if we have time, do we give it a shot? It's I don't know, man. It's a little long. Yeah, it's a little long. But let's just get into the first part of it because I, I think it sums it up fairly well. The Unbearable Tragedy of the B-Word, Bitcoin Magazine's Pete Rizzo. Here's why I disagree. Surely, those words you've heard in a conversation before, respectfully terse, an affirmation that what is to follow is to be a rebuttal, a series of words that offers some critique on what you, as a human being worthy of response, have just expressed. Sadly, those words and any like them were all but absent from the B-Word conference on Wednesday, Built by Square CEO Jack Dorsey as The Talk, the event promised, however vaguely, the semblance of a reasonable conversation about Bitcoin that also included Elon Musk. It could be argued such a thing seemingly took place. I say seemingly, of course, because as I reflect on the hour plus of content assembled, I feel it dishonest to portray it as any other than a travesty of discourse, one akin to watching the images of three inert human bodies in three different realities discussing discussing the view from three entirely different universes. Questions were asked, news happened, SpaceX holds Bitcoin, Elon owns ETH, yet nowhere in the over 60-minute affair was there discourse on the elephant in the room, nor perhaps even that elephants existed. I feel exasperated thinking about it. I feel saddened by the fact that I feel that I need to write about this. But above all, I feel. I really felt something resulting from the conversation and I can only describe it as a hollow, awful disappointment about the state of discourse around Bitcoin. I'm gonna leave it there. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. right guys it's friday 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 so go out have fun spend time with the kids good barbecue and weather at least out here in the panhandle of texas you know we've been in the 80s for almost like two straight weeks i'm serious man it's like i'm going outside it's middle july in the middle of texas well not the middle of texas but the middle of the texas panhandle which is arguably very hot and it's like 86 it's freaking me out. So if this is what we have to look forward to with global warming and climate change, bring it on. I'm so tired of triple digit temperatures in the summer. I hate the summer. When I was a kid, I didn't care about, you know, the heat. It was it was a non-issue. Somehow or another, kids can run around in 102 degree weather without drinking a drop of water, not sweat once and be completely fine. But you step outside as an adult male or an adult female into this kind of heat in the middle of July that we would expect, it's excruciating. Oh my God. So it's bizarre. Uh, So I'm probably going to be doing some barbecue myself, honestly. Anyway, but I can't let you go without a dad joke, right? And dad says jokes. I accidentally drank a bottle of invisible ink last night. I'm in the hospital now waiting to be seen. But what isn't a joke is this entire thing with Untapped Growth, Acerus, and his wife. Um, now, some, some, I'm going to give you some parting caveats with this. I don't know any of these people all that well. Out of all of them, I know I know Untapped the best because we've had a couple, you know, we've had more than one phone conversation you know i interviewed him for the podcast you know we've I, i'm really interested in what he's been doing i've been following him and i've i've found untapped to be one of the people that i expect out of this crew of plebs ethical moral gives a shit about more than just getting rich right everybody wants to have a little bit of money but you know honestly it's people like like from what I read out of the, of Colin and Deanna or Deanna out of that whole foreclosure and and hotels and bed and breakfast and all this, this, you know, f- writing false statements as part of an executive summary, who the hell does that? So given what I know and I don't know that I know it, I'm just, these are the, these are the, these are the artifacts that I have been given. The untapped growth, po- uh, um, Posting and the article about uh, the Crossmans and their stuff going on in Nevada and uh, North Carolina or wherever the hell it is that they're from. Could any of these be wrong? Of course they could be wrong. I mean, I don't know the whole side of the story. I wasn't sitting in the chair next to Untapped when all this shit was going down, you know? And the fact that everything is super hot right now So I'm gonna leave you with this. Don't drag Bitcoin Magazine into this shit, right? It's a good publication, they're good people, they're trying their best and all of us are basically working for fucking peanuts when we're we're working for for Bitcoin because we want to. We're not getting rich out of it unless you're Barry Silver. If you're Barry, you're doing okay. (laughs) Yeah, you're doing okay. But if you're like the rest, if you're like the majority of the plebs in the space, You're doing it because it gives you purpose. You know, what what Untapped is doing is giving him purpose. Do you really have purpose when you're going to give false statements in an executive summary so that you can defraud investors out of a hotel in Nevada? That doesn't sound very purposeful to me. So watch what they do, not what they say, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and...